ready to organize your amazing ideas into a powerful book, you are in the right place. At the right time to learn how to write your book. Hi, I'm Joyce Glass. And I'm Sherry Lynn Bisbono. And welcome to The Right Hour, nonfiction tips from the Right Coach team. We are so glad you joined us today. Welcome to episode 803 of The Right Hour. We hope you're having a beautiful day wherever you are listening. There are many avenues you can take in the writing world, and our guest today, Holland Webb, has spent his career writing mainly for businesses. Holland is a full-time writer, the co-founder of Media Collective, and the co-host of a podcast on the intersection of macro trends and stories called The Afterword. He has written for higher education brands such as the U.S. News and World Report, The Learning House, Helix Education, and too many universities to name. He also writes about entrepreneurship and B2B technology. His clients have included MailChimp, Scaled On, and TalkRoute. Holland has ghostwritten numerous articles for Inc. along with crafting articles under his own name for faith-based publications, such as Keys for Kids and DevoZine. His first book, called Adventures in Fatherhood, is co-authored with Carlton Hughes and set for release from Worthy Publishing in the spring of 2020. He loves to travel and has visited 44 states and 25 countries. Now it's time to learn another way to create a writing career. Welcome to the next episode of The Right Hour. This is Joyce Glass and Sherilyn Bisbano is with me. Hey, Sherilyn. Hi, welcome everyone. We are the Right Coach Team and today we are interviewing Mr. Holland Webb. Holland, we are so excited to have you. I'm excited to be with you guys. Awesome. You all. I should say you all. Y'all. 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 For the the southern people, it's y'all. And now, you know, Sherilyn's the Yankee girl, so, you know, we got something to say for her. (laughs) What do you say up there, you guys? I'm, I'm the Yankee girl with the southern name. That's true. Yes, yeah, so. it's kind of a southern name. It do, you is. Say, do you say "you guys"? Do you say that? Yes, sometimes I'm I'm learning how to speak properly now. Instead of saying "guys" and things like that. <laughs> well, I have cousins in Maryland who say "you guys." Use yes, guys. you guys. You so, guys. Yes. So I was wondering if that was a Rhode Island thing too or not. I didn't know. But anyway, so we are here with Mr. Holland and excited to talk to him about the business of writing and uh, managing that business. And he is going to have some tips for you. So first, tell us a bit about your journey to becoming a writer, Holland. How did this all come about? Well, I've always loved stories. When I was a kid, all I wanted to do was either read a story or listen to a story on cassette tapes, which is what we had at the time. When I was probably 14, I think that's when I really understood there was somebody on the other end of this book and that that person had a job as a writer. And I wanted to be a writer. That was when I read my first book about writing. It was called Writer to Writer. And understood that people wrote for magazines and they wrote for newspapers and they they wrote things other than the novels, which was what I liked reading. Right. So I started imagining that I was going to be a writer. Only at the time, I wasn't thinking that I would write for businesses. Certainly not that I would write for the internet, which basically hadn't been made public at the time. 
Exactly. I imagine myself more like, you know, James Michener, who was a favorite novelist of mine. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I could see myself going to countries around the world and researching and writing these you know, blockbuster novels like he did. By the time I got to college, I realized that that might not be an actual career path. There might be some <laughs> steps between where I was and a blockbuster novelist. Just a few. (laughs) Just a few. Just a few. So I started thinking about what could I do? I looked into possibly publishing business kind of majors and found a major in writing, but the school that it was at was way out of my price range. So the, the idea that I would be a writer really just started to die for me. Um, I, put that aside and thought, well, I'll do something else. So picked a different major, went to graduate school, didn't even consider journalism or English or anything like that, and launched a career in nonprofit work, which started out with me writing something. I I don't even remember what it was now. Yes, I do. Yes, I do remember. It was a major donor fundraising letter. My boss had me draft it, and so I did, Mm -hmm. and I took it to him. And he read it. He cocked in my brow and sort of leaned back in his chair and said, okay, you're not writing for your college professors anymore. (laughs) You are now writing for your grandmother. So go back and rewrite this as if you were writing a letter to your grandmother and asking her to donate to our organization, not as if you were writing a paper that's going to be submitted for a grade. Yeah. Which was the first time I ever thought about the fact that what I had learned about writing and actually, you know, in school and then actually writing for people to read might be different. The idea that, you know, in school, we write for one person, right? We Mm -hmm. write for an audience of one, the teacher. And the response is a grade. This the stakes had suddenly become higher. Now I was writing for several hundred people and the response was going to be money. So it it changed the whole way of looking at things for me. I never really became a great fundraising writer because I was never really emotional enough for it. Mm -hmm. But I did begin to write grants, grant proposals, grant reports. Right. And so developed a lot of skills that way. Eventually, I did write more for a larger readership still in the nonprofit world, still writing fundraising appeals and newsletters, things like that. Holland, how and, did you get involved yeah. in writing for businesses? Well, I was, I needed money. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's a great, yeah, you got to It is a motivation for many of us. Yes, I totally get that. <laughs> and and, and when, the you, money. when you tell us how, tell us what, type of businesses that you've written for. And I know a few, and some of them are really, uh, you wouldn't think Holland would write for them, but he does a great job and they're keeping him around. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Yes. That makes high-end cat litter boxes. Yeah. <laughs> I and I don't have cats. That. In fact, I have a, I have a dog that has a homicidal view of cats, but <laughs> how did I get into writing for business? Well, I needed the money and <laughs> I started working for a new organization, a new nonprofit. And then a previous employer called me up and said, hey, our writer has just quit and we need somebody who can do major donor fundraising letters and newsletters for us. 
can you do it? And I didn't really think I could, but I needed the money so badly that false modesty just wasn't an option at the time. So I said, (laughs) yes, I can do that. No problem. And figured that at least I would get a few pieces written before they fired me and I would make a little bit. So I started and found that I had a little uh, more of a knack for it than I realized. So I took my editor to lunch and I said, I need some more clients. Do you think that I could get some more clients? And how would you start? How would you go about that? She said, yes, you can get some more clients and you need to quit writing for nonprofits. If, if you're in this to make, to make a living, you need to get out of the nonprofit world and start writing for businesses that need writers. Right. And I had no idea what to do. So there was a marketing agency here in the city where I live that supported the nonprofit I worked for. So I went to their website and sure enough, they were hiring freelancers and I jumped through all their hoops and they hired me. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Wow. Congratulations. Um, that uh, marketing agency was my first client. And eventually I went to work for them full time, mm-hmm. which was a pivotal change for me. They were not a great organization to work for as far as the day-to-day life there. It was, But I was, for the first time, I wasn't just writing as part of a job. I was writing as my job. Right. Which meant I was doing it 40 hours a week. Everything that I wrote was reviewed by professional editors and given back to me to rewrite with extensive comments. And you can't write 40 hours a week and have everything you do be reviewed by professional editors and not improve. Right. I feel like that was the point for me where I went from being an okay writer, good enough to get paid for it, to being an excellent writer, good enough to make a living at it. Right. Um, But only because I did it 40 hours a week for 18 months with everything being given back to me by editors who were saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other thing. Remember the style guide. Uh, You know, that's overstated. That's understated. You forgot this. Can you prove that? On and on. Um, Like I say, it was it was horrendously boring. We we worked for uh, uh, hotel chains. We worked for hotel chains. And. Let me tell you, the country in and suites is exactly the same in every location <laughs> in the U.S., but you have to make it sound different. And when I would write for those, it w- you know, the website looks exactly the same. The content is the same. They all have the same features. They all offer the same things. And so you write a lot. You're doing it over and over and over and over again, and it's boring. But it's like practicing the scales on the piano, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's horrendously boring. But it's how you learn the the elements of how to do something. It's all the little pieces start start coming together. And when I left there and started my own business, I could get clients because number one, I could say I have written for and then name those hotel chains, which were national chains, but also because it was so much easier for me to write than it had been prior to doing it full time. Right. And it's like any business, you have stepping stones. And for me, my stepping stone was blogging. It helped me when I was writing consistently every week and I knew people's eyeballs were actually going to look at it. It has a different take than when you're just writing something and you're not putting it out in the world. You don't care as much. But when you know people are going to look at it, you're going to look. Does it sound right? Does it make sense? Right. You know, those kind of things. Is it speaking to them? And when, you know, by refining that myself and getting feedback from people, 
and then working with editors for my books, it, I, I did the same thing. It helped refine it. And it's funny now, you know, teachers also learn a lot too. So now that I've been an editor for four years, it's become a lot easier for me too, because I can start now just eyeballing stuff. That's what helped me too, is that practice. And you do need that practice, Mm -hmm. you know, and even if it's a boring job like that, you got a lot of benefit from it, you know, because not only that, you got some credentials that helped you. So Mm -hmm. it's worth it. And so sometimes we have to do the crappy jobs to get to where we really want to be. In some ways, in some ways, I think the fact that it was boring was helpful because I wasn't trying to express what was in my deepest soul. Right. I was, you know, the country and in sweets didn't, (laughs) didn't touch my heart. I wasn't even trying to get in touch with, with that. I was just trying to express I could focus on the particulars of how to craft a sentence, mm-hmm. of how to support what I said, of how to organize a paragraph. And and I had people pointing those things out. So it helped with the technical aspects of writing. And it wasn't something that I was as married to as I might have been if I were writing my life story or right. if I were writing a novel that I had always wanted to write and then have people come in and say, this doesn't make sense for that. You know, you get so much more emotionally invested. And I really wasn't that emotionally invested in these hotel websites. And I could focus on, so I think the fact that it was boring actually really helped (laughs) in retrospect. So how do you manage this writing business that you've created now? And what is kind of your business model? You know, is it, are you solely just writing freelance or do you do some things on your own? Well, I left about two and a half years ago. I left that job with that marketing agency um, and went out entirely on my own. Mm-hmm. While I worked for them, I had a little portfolio of clients, but this is now it's entirely me. And I have some subcontractors who work with me. Mm-hmm. So, which we're putting together uh, more of a, a writer's collective and I'm planning on changing up the business model actually in 2020. Awesome. So, it, it should look, yeah, I'm excited about it. It should look a little bit different, but. For the past two and a half years, it's been me finding finding clients and working with them. I mean, I, I find the clients, I contract with them, I do the work, I submit the invoices. You know. Yeah. Um, what kind of work are you doing now? I mean, are you doing more copy at, um, writing or are you doing, what kind of things do you write for now? Or articles? Mostly I, I write for business-to-business B2B companies. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in higher education and technology. Okay. And they're either web pages uh, or they are blogs or they are, in, in a few cases, they are a blog that accompanies or a podcast. I don't do a lot of business to consumer writing. I don't do a lot of uh, writing for retail organizations. And I don't do headlines or billboards or flyers or things like that. I write articles. Right, um, right, which tend to be anywhere from 500 to 3,000 words. Mm-hmm. Wow. Holland, what steps should someone take if they want to learn to write for a business? And should they expect to write for free at the beginning? I think the best step anyone can take is to just do it. <laughs> as, much as, I, as much as I appreciate all of the books that are available and all the podcasts that are available and all the conferences that are available for writers, I feel like those things can also be excuses. I'm going to the conference. 
I'm reading the book. I'm listening to the podcast. I'm doing all these things that aren't writing, but they're related to writing. So they make me feel like I'm writing. (laughs) One of the first days that I worked full-time for myself, the end of the day, I said, wow, I've been working all day and this has been great. And I wonder how much money I've made. And I sat down and added it up and I made $40. And I thought this day cannot happen again. But it was because I had all these other things going on that were related to writing but they weren't actually putting down words, which I, was what I was being paid to do. Right. And I had to, I had to quit that and, and start actually putting words on paper. It's probably true for any kind of writing that you do, whether it's writing for business or, or another kind. It's really easy to get distracted. Oh, elements of writing. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I get sucked into doing admin and social media stuff when it's like, you know, I really need to do my writing and something that I'm making a priority this week is that I actually do my client work first and then I get into the other stuff. And that's really helping because, hey, then I've made a big accomplishment. I got this done today. So, and then if the other doesn't happen till later or it gets pushed off to the next day, it's usually okay. But if you keep pushing client work off, not so good. (laughs) So, Holland, you said just do it. So if somebody wants to start getting paid... I know a lot of people I've heard say, well, you need to do some stuff for free first. Should people expect to do stuff for free to build their portfolio? Probably how a person would answer that depends on where they are in their career. Uh, It's easy enough for me to sit here and say, never, never, never write for free. I did write a little bit for free at the beginning. I don't think I would do it again. It seemed like it was necessary at the time. I'm not sure that it really was. I, I, my experience has been that clients who want you to write for free are often more difficult and more demanding than clients that are paying you. Yes. And why do they want you to write for free? <laughs> why can't they just pay you? They pay, they pay their other vendors. Why can't they pay you? Right. Um, and if, if you're, what you're doing is writing for your church for free or writing for some very small nonprofit for free, it might be fine for your own personal growth, but those things are not going to be impressive in a portfolio. So right. I wouldn't go out and search out those things unless you just right. feel like you need the benefit of writing um, in order to grow. I can see value in writing something as a sample and then putting it in a portfolio and, and, and identifying it as a sample. I really didn't write this for this company. But if I were hired by this company, this is the kind of thing I would have written to show what you could do. Great idea. Um, I mean, you'd want to make sure that it was clear that you didn't actually write for you know, Nike or whatever you know, right. whatever company <laughs> you wanted it to be. But you can, you can do that and put it in your portfolio so it shows that you have what the, you could do. The experience, yeah. What the, you could do. The experience, yeah. The experience, yeah. I think you could at least get somebody who would pay you four or five cents a word on Upwork or something to get you started Mm -hmm. that will pay you a little bit. It's hard to keep, it's hard to discipline yourself anyway. It's really hard to discipline yourself to do it when there's no money on the other end Mm -hmm. and you can start to feel taken advantage of, and you can start to feel like you're never going to be good enough to be paid. Right. You're probably good enough to be paid. Yeah. Do you, did you use Upwork? Cause that's a good idea to start with Upwork and get some experience under your belt. 
I didn't use Upwork, but there are a lot of uh, there's ProBlogger, there's Upwork, there's LinkedIn. There are a lot of places you can you can just go online where people pay fairly small amounts of money, but they do pay you something, and it will at least build you a portfolio. Right, right, and that's good. And like you said, then you're you also won't build that resentment because you're actually getting paid for the job to do it. Um, tell us a little bit about research. How do you research for these articles? Because I'm assuming not all of these is the stuff that you just know off the top of your head. You, you've got to do some research. To Virtually um, none of it is stuff that I just know off the top of my head, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, I, I want to I give two contradictory answers to this question. Is that okay? Go right ahead. One is <laughs> sometimes people who are applying to subcontracts for me will say, I'm really good at research. And that's a bit of a red flag to me because I, I have found that for some people, that means I'm not really good at writing. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you I'm good at research and hope that you'll hire me to read articles for you. Um, no. <laughs> I think what you need to know what you mean when you say I'm good at research. Does that mean you just like to read articles? or you like to read books and learn about stuff, or does that mean you do original research or something between those two? Mm -hmm. If you're going to write anywhere from five to 25 cents a word, you're not going to do original research. You don't have time, but you do have to create something that's authoritative. If it's going to rank uh, on Google, if, if it's going to be considered a legitimate piece, if it's going to help your client establish authority in the field, it's got to be accurate. Mm-hmm. So you want to do that kind of research and find out what you need to know, which is going to take you to .org sites, .edu sites. And then uh, if it's a long enough piece or a complex enough piece, I will look through SSRI or look for academic papers that have been published on the subject, mm-hmm. either that I can cite or that I can see what the original researcher was talking about and then go find easier articles that I can actually understand that explain it to me so that I know what I'm writing is, is accurate. Yeah. One of the hard things for me early on was that, you know, I tend to want to say things that are broad and general rather than specific. And I want to be able to put my opinion in as absolute fact. (laughs) So, And I didn't even notice I was doing it, but having editors come back and say, can you prove that? Or you need to change your will in that sentence to a can or a may um, that doesn't overpromise, that doesn't overstate, that just focuses on absolute fact. And you've got something that you can back that fact up with, or you've got some kind, you can back that opinion up um, with research or logic or, you know, expert opinion, something that supports what you're saying. So yeah, all that needs to be there. You can't spend all your time writing, or excuse me, you can't spend all your time researching. Right. Um, for me, an easy way to break things down is if I know I'm going to have a 2,000 word article, I say, okay, I'm going to have 10, 200 word sections in this article. And then I'm going to look for two sources under each of those sections. And I'm basically going to pull all the information out of that. So it makes it, it simplifies the research for me. And I'm not just going out reading articles randomly for the next several hours (laughs) i'm not being paid anything 
well, I just read these these articles and distract myself. I just wrote an article a couple of weeks ago about Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter. Somebody wanted a biography of Jack Dorsey. So I said, okay, what was what were the main points of his life? Okay, here they are. It's two thousand words. Here they are. His eight or ten major things that happened. Now I'm going to go find something that happened. Right, an article that covers this part of his life. Mm-hmm. And I was able to move through it a lot more quickly than if I had just sat down and read. 50 biographies of him. Right. 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 So you, you have created a process then to help you with your research, which is what I like. I'm a process person and I want to have a plan. So I like that, that you've created that process and that, that's really helpful. And so if anybody's listening, write that down. <laughs> yes. Holly, well, we're going to change gears here a little bit. We heard that you're, you have a book releasing next spring well the spring of 2020 can you tell us about that yeah it's a book called adventures in fatherhood it's a 60-day devotional that i wrote with carlton hughes uh, he has two sons and i have two sons and uh, mine are well one of mine just joined the army about a year ago yes the other one just turned 19 and both carlton's sons are i think either in college or just out so this was a book for where we were 20 years ago <laughs> with little dads with kids at home, little kids, um, elementary school kids. We took humorous stories from our own lives or from the Bible and uh, and looked at fatherhood humorous take and uh, wrote short devotions for dads. Yeah. So it's coming out, I believe, in April from Worthy Publishers. Oh, congratulations. That's Thank awesome. you. Yeah, I love that idea. Cause, um, and I love that they're short because... Typically, not most men don't want to sit and read long devotions. <laughs> right. Time and just, you know, their uh, preference. There are some men, my father's a reader, but not all men are like that. I love that you've done that. And of course, the humor is always going to help because who doesn't love <laughs> yes, Who does yes, not yes, love yes. a funny story about. I'm looking forward you know, to reading it, even though I'm not a dad. <laughs> I can yeah. get your perspective. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it would be a great gift for when my son becomes a dad, which. Hopefully it's not anytime soon. He's only been married a year. <laughs> uh, I was wondering how old he was. He's 22. He'll be 23 in June. So he, he can wait a little while. <laughs> I'm good with that. Mama is good with that. Well, tell us a little bit about your writing time. Do you have a consistent time you write? Do you write daily? What are some things that work for you and some of the things that didn't? Oh, boy. Um, yes, I write daily. Because I have to. If writing were a hobby for me, I would never do it. I would spend all my time reading and calling that writing. Um, <laughs> or attending conferences. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so yes, I write every day and I, I do write a lot every day. I find that it's a, it's been a little bit hard for me the last few months because I do some caregiving as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my mother who lives with me has dementia. So that's a, a distraction. It's been very difficult actually. Uh, to get all my work done. So I'm looking at uh, opportunities for her during the day so that I can get more accomplished. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it, it does, it does take a lot to write 300 to 500 words a day. I'm sorry, not 300 to 500, 3000 to 5,000 words a day. Um, well, that 300, which is about what I write. <laughs> 300 can be hard too. But that's what I try to get in. I try to get in between 3,000 and 5,000 a day. And I know there are people who say, I think there's a, uh, 
ghostwriter named Nicholas Cole who swears he writes 10,000 words a day. I wish I had that kind of discipline. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know if he can really do it, but uh, he says he does. And yeah, maybe one I, day I'll get there, but I think I, I would just yeah. die. I've maxed out at about five. My brain just is like done, yeah. you know, done. I, and, and usually there's like a hundred other things I need to be doing. So my, I'm, my brain's going, you got to do this and you got to do that. And yeah, you really need to go. <laughs> so mm-hmm. The little chunks help me too, so I get that. I have to schedule writing time. I have to say, okay, from this time to this time, like during NaNoWriMo, the National Novel Writing Mm -hmm. Month in November, I didn't do it this year because of my mom. Uh, Holland and I are going through similar experiences. But when I did it years past, I was up 5 o'clock every morning doing 2,000 words a day. So Mm -hmm. if I can get back to that... But like both of you, I mean, you're right. I'm reading other people's writing all day. So I don't want to write. Well, or when I come to write my own stuff, something else happens. Something else is always calling me. So I have to <laughs> schedule it. So Holland, um, what words of advice and encouragement do you have for new writers or someone who's struggling either writing their book or writing for a business? Just do it. I think the best advice I can give is, and you, you were going to say, just do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad. Just do it. I think it would be to scale your idea. If you're writing for a business, really? then you're going to go with whatever scale they want. They're going to tell you, I want a 750-word article and a 2,000-word article. I want a 5,000-word article. I want you, you know, I want an ebook. I want you to do original interviews or just collect information and do this. But if you're writing for yourself or you're, you have some, some more creative control over your process, I think it would be scale your idea. Mm-hmm. And I say that based on having attended writers' conferences and met writers who tell me right at the beginning, you know, I'm right at the beginning of my writing career and I want to write a book. And then they tell me what their book is going to be about. And I think that's not really a book. That's mm-hmm. an article. <laughs> yeah. Or that's a series of articles. Or that's a blog. Or that's a devotion. Or that's a book of devotions. Before you turn your life story into a 300-page book, or before you sit down and write a 120,000-word novel, ask yourself if the story that you're telling is really that long and involved, and if the reader's really going to want that much information, or if you couldn't turn that into a thousand devotionals that you could create, get far more readership for and get a little bit of money for before you could finish a book. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's really a book length idea, that's a different thing. You know, if it really is a book length idea, put it into a book, but ask yourself for a long time, you know, be honest about your idea. Uh, and, and figure out how big it is. Right. And then that's not to say that book-length ideas are better. That's just to say that book-length ideas tend to be more original. Mm-hmm. Um, if what you're telling is more like your own personal story or, you know, words of encouragement, but if your book is, if your book is encouragement for people who are in, you know, for, for, we were just talking about caregiving, so encouragement for caregivers or mm-hmm. whatever. You know, it, is your 120,000-word book really going to be picked up and read by someone who also has to caregive? Or is that going to be much, much more effective as a series of blog articles? Right. Yeah. 
Right. Or even a shorter book, even a shorter book would work that gives them the, the bullet point information that they need in a condensed version and then write articles about those. Yeah. So there's a definitely a way to do it, but I like that. There's some writers that you just need to go and get to a conference if you haven't been or within a writing group and get feedback on your idea, you know, Mm -hmm. start fleshing it out some to develop it. And that can take three to six months if you're new, because I know for me, it took me a good probably six months to a year to really get honed in on what I wanted to write my first book about. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, I was working and at one point I went back to school for a little bit while I was writing my book. So it took me four years to finish the first book. You can write it faster if you get help and follow, you know, some steps and guidelines like writing coaches. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> just throwing that in there. And, um, but the, the no, I, 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 will, I will support that 100%. I think if, if you have so much to invest, so much time and so much money to invest, a writing coach is by far the most effective Mm-hmm. Um, way to invest that money and that time more than more than conferences as nice as they are and certainly more than books about writing mm-hmm. and more than a writer's group i think a one-on-one right. coach who will look at your writing and give you feedback about your particular project right. and who can go through with it and point out your strengths and your weaknesses and help you enhance those strengths and short those i mean there's just nothing like that kind of one-on-one personal feedback from an experienced person who knows what they're doing. There really is not. Yeah. And we appreciate that, but yeah, it's true. And we help, you're going to finish your book faster with help because you've got the guidance and you're not going to be sitting around going, well, is this right? Or is this not right? And the accountability and the accountability. I need accountability. I can be off doing something else instead of writing. But if I have someone saying, okay, Sherry Lynn, you have to have chapters two and three done by the end of next week. I'll hear that voice in my head and I'll be at my computer typing because I don't want to let that person down. I don't want to let my coach down. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, and, you know, sometimes self-imposed deadlines work, but not always. I struggle with that too. And having, knowing that, you know, my clients are waiting for the work for me. It pushes me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the same way. There's always a hundred of things we could be doing, but I know love what I do. It's just, you too. Yeah. Just, you know, we're social creatures and we would rather sometimes go do social things instead of focusing on what we need to focus on. But I appreciate that, Holland. Is there anything else you'd like to add? And do we have a way to get in touch with you? We can, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Oh, can you talk about real quick, talk sure. about your podcast. Your podcast yeah. is... I, my brain always does flips when I, when I listen to your podcast, because I always learn something and you guys, he's laughing, but you, you always look at things from a different angle. And I love that. So can you tell us about your podcast? Thank you. Yes. My, my longtime um, writing partner and I started a podcast last March. It's called the afterward. You can find us at the afterwardpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. or on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, but we look at the, 
we look at the intersection of macro trends and storytelling. So for instance, we've looked at things like the rise of, and development of smart cities and how that may affect libraries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about adoption and foster care and how the fact that more and more people are adopting and doing foster care, what's that, what's that doing to the stories we tell around that? And how are the stories we tell around adoption and foster care affecting who chooses those paths? I'm sorry, I didn't mean the to board games. The board games. That was the, a brilliant. Yeah, yeah, board games. We talked about board games and, and how board games and stories, uh, board games help us understand story and story helps us understand board games. We're going to do the same thing with video games um, ah. in a couple months. We've got, we've got one of the uh, gamers who was penalized in the international tournament for supporting Hong Kong protesters. Mm. Uh, he's going to be with us. Um, Casey, goodness, I forgot his last name. That he's going to be with us, and so is the World of Warcraft developer John Stoss. Oh, um, they're wow. going to be talking about yeah about how how video games are developed, how the story develops, and then the effect that the stories of a video game can have on real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fun! That does sound wonderful. Well, we appreciate it. Well, we have links for Holland in the show notes. And we've had a fun time getting to know you here. And you will also be on the lookout for his book coming out. Yes, it will be on my website, which is also getting redone. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we appreciate it. And you have a wonderful day. And thank you. Y'all too. Thank you. Bye, Holly. for joining us on this episode of The Right Hour. Our goal is to help you achieve your writing dreams. You are one step closer to write your book. Learn how to get the book out of your head with the four steps we teach our clients. Sign up for the free email series at therightcoach.biz. That's the W-R-I-T-E coach dot B-I-Z. The link is in the show notes. The four steps help you clarify your focus, Create and organize your content and complete your book. We share writing tips on the writing process and you can download the writing planner to track your progress to create your weekly and monthly milestones to complete your book. Don't let fear and overwhelm keep you from writing your book. It's time to write your book.